Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory, to live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. In this episode of Octa Nonverba, we hear part two of my interview with Olympic gold medalist, educator, and motivational speaker, Antoine Maybank. In part one, Antoine shared his journey to Olympic gold and how the adversity that he faced along the way prepared him to help others train and perform at their highest level. We also discuss athletics as part of the identity, using sports to create opportunities as a youth, and the lessons that he learned as an Olympic athlete that still serve him today. You can hear part one on episode 92 of Octa Nonverba. And now please enjoy part two of my interview with the amazing Antoine Maybank. And I love that because especially at a young age, I've talked to a lot of athletes, but very few of them had the wherewithal and the self-awareness in junior high to know, listen, I need to look through these sports and see which one is the best fit for me. Okay. Now that I've kind of found this arena, now what are these things that I can do that will give me an advantage? Again, food, again, time. We see people in high school that can't eat or even college or professional levels that can't do that. They don't have the discipline to understand the difference. And like you were saying, if it's a sacrifice on the days when it's difficult and I feel like I'm sacrificing, there can be this resentment that I build up subconsciously where it's like the athlete you were talking about before where she wasn't having the best season in the world, even though in her mind, if she had been sacrificing the whole time, she would be like, I'm not even working. I'm doing all the things that coaches told me to do and it's not enough. But when it becomes choice and what does it also do? That's self-empowering. This is my decision. So that's so powerful. That teaches them lessons all over their lives, right? Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I try to reach out to the kids at a younger age. Because one of the spinoffs of my company is that I teach kids how they can eat very healthy on a very limited value plan as far as money's concerned. So me, I can go to a farmer's market on a Sunday buy my vegetables for the week. And as long as I actually put everything in order, they're going to stay fresh. And I can buy all that for $20, fruits and vegetables, and that will last. And then I turn around and show them, their parents also, you can prepare a healthy meal in less than 30 minutes because time is a necessity for most of the parents who are coming home from work and the kids are starving and they still need something healthy to eat so they don't have to eat out. I mean. When I was younger in middle school, I did not eat out. I mean, we came home and we had healthy meals. We had fresh vegetables that came directly from my grandma's place. So these are things I'm trying to instill in the kids now that we eat with a purpose. That's what we need to think about. Our choices that we make are for a purpose. And if we look at life that way, we will make choices in our decisions that's going to help us look three, four, and five steps ahead instead of actually just thinking right there in the moments for immediate gratification. It's about having that intention. And then that intention adds gravity to every decision that you make. Like you said, whether it be, do I drink soda or do I drink water? Do I drink sugary sweet tea from South Carolina? Or do I drink regular tea or the real water? Because 
Sweet Tea is beautiful. Oh, yes. I remember it. (laughs) (laughs) I remember it. It's great. It's great, but I don't want to be a a diabetic in the process of doing it. So being at the level that you are and the experiences that you've had in teaching the way that you have, we talk about mindset. I'm very much into mindset because I'm the same way you are. I know that physically, a lot of the athletes, like in the top one through five, physically, they may all have the same attributes. But it's the mentality, it's that mindset, it's that mental edge, it's the way that they approach what they're doing that often gets them in the winner's circle when other people are kind of off the podium. Can you give us two or three things that you've found in the mindset that you had as the Olympic gold medalist compared to people that were also Rams, people that maybe not have made it on the podium? My thing was, number one, I was always willing to outwork anyone. I was always that guy that says, okay. No matter how bad I feel running this workout, I'm going to push myself to a specific point. And if I start to plateau, I'll know exactly where I am at that point. And then I can go back, rearrange my plan so I can push past that plateau and make the plateau just off a little bit. For example, 400 meters one time around the track. If I went out and I ran my hardest, and I went out to about 350 meters. I know at that point where my body is starting to just break down and fail me at that point. But if I train hard enough and long enough, the technical part and the mental part will just let me maintain. It's not like I'm still running faster than everyone else. It's the fact that mentally, I'm just holding my posture and body position physically longer than everyone else. So it seems like I'm running fast, and they're running slower, but I'm just holding a certain point. That's the first one, working everybody. The second one would be a mental game. It's like, for me, I have to think about what I'm going to do, what I'm going to accomplish. As I said, if I think about it and then I say it aloud, that means everyone else has heard it. So I can actually make myself work a lot more, a lot harder because it's not me keeping it in myself. It's like when I used to work in corporate. I would write an idea down, but until I showed that idea or said it aloud to everyone else, no one else knew that it existed. No one else knew what can come of it. And it's the same thing in sports. There is a strong correlation between anything dealing with sports, professional athletes, and just the business practices of a normal CEO, because everyone makes tough split second choices and decisions. And they have to deal with the consequences. How they deal with those consequences will determine if they're going to be successful long-term overall. That's because we're all going to have decisions that are difficult. We're all going to have consequences that, again, that adversity, it's omnipresent. It's always going to be there. There's going to be times when we feel tired, when we feel broken. It's the decision that we make in that moment, as you say, that dictates, okay, am I going to be a better leader? Am I going to be getting the respect of those around me? And that's why the way that you teach when you're literally in the trenches with your kids and you're like... I'm right here. I'm sweating too, what you got. I mean, that's what shows them. Leading by example is not the best way. It's the only way. And I've also found that if you're willing to give even more than they are, it shows them. It's like, well, wow, he's willing to give more for my success than I am. This forces me to elevate to that level. That gravity brings them up. That's the tide that rises all boats. When a person at that Olympic level, I'm sure there were days or people that were teammates of yours that came in and maybe they were having a bad day or maybe they didn't feel motivated. What were things that you could do to kind of help them realign and say, listen, here's the focus. Let's get this done. Well, for my point, it's me day, me time. So 
when my friends or anyone on my team is feeling like this is the worst thing ever, I said, you need just to take back, reflect and have some me time. Because at the end of the day, you can't just be all work all the time. You've got to take a moment for yourself. I call this my me time. It can be anything from along the lines of reading a book, listening to your favorite music, going to the movies, or just sitting in silence and meditating. You need something to help you break up all the stress that your body is absorbing and find an outlet. And with us, it was getting out and walking and touring whatever country we're in at time so that we can actually take in the culture. It's great to travel around and go from country to country, but if you don't really take a moment, sit back and enjoy what you're doing, that defeats the purpose of what you're doing to start with. Yeah, there have been many times in my own experience and then experience with teammates or with people that was training where, like you say, you get the airport, you pack all your stuff, you get to the hotel, you're there, you go get some food, you know the route to the arena, and that may be it. So you can literally be anywhere and not even know where you were. But as you're saying, as you become sort of part of that environment, you're in the ecosystem. Now it doesn't feel as if you've been transplanted and you're a stranger in a strange land. Now you're literally part of it. You're breathing that air. You're connecting to that earth. And in a lot of ways, that's kind of an advantage, especially if the people you're running against have not had the wherewithal to do that. <laughs> well, some people all work all the time. I mean, I can understand that. I used to be that way. So I understand that perspective. Then later on, as I got older, I realized I need to appreciate the things that's right here in front of me, not just be on the grind constantly. That's for different times. Like if I'm trying to get a project accomplished, yes, I'm constantly grinding. But as soon as I get that project finished, I need to take a step back and says, hey, look what I've done. Take a moment and just breathe before I do anything else. So at the same time, my body's not like always in a fighting mode constantly. And that's why I tell the kids, you got to enjoy yourself a little bit. It's like any sport that any of the kids are playing today, the coaches are huge influences. They're bigger influences than their parents are. The coaches need to make sure one thing, these children are having fun. Because if they're having fun, they are going to go out and participate in that sport bring their friends to participate in that sport, guess what? That creates a huge social environment, not a social environment where we're on our phones all the time, glued to everything, playing video games, but a physical interaction, social environment that they're getting out and connecting with one another. That is extremely important because if you're having fun, you've got friends around, you're going to go and try other things and you're going to bring that environment with you and you're going to be happier overall. And then, like you said, now everybody's winning. Now everybody's a part of it. Now it just cultivates this everywhere that you go. I love that idea. I have never met an athlete that hasn't had mental resilience. And the, the higher the levels that I've met, usually the more adversity that they've gone through. Can you tell us about an adversity that you faced? And it can be at any level that at the time you felt like you weren't going to be able to get through it. From Mike's story quickly, I was paralyzed from the neck down while I was in the military. I was told I'd never walk again. And at 40 years old, it really made me stop. And like you said, take a breath and look at what's going on and reevaluate what I was doing. And I believed at that time that I never would walk again. So in my mind, if this is the truth, what can I do now to live the most of my life? After I was able to begin to recover it, it changed the way I did everything. That adversity was my gift. It forced me to look at it. 
what is an adversity that you went through that was at the time seemed like you weren't going to be able to get through it. But once you got through it, you look back and you're like, wow, that literally defined who I am. It would have to be my senior year. I mean, I knew I would get through it, but I knew it was going to be extremely hard. That was the problem for me. So anything that's easy, people usually take it for granted sometimes. So the harder you work for, the more you appreciate it. That's just my mindset. My 12th grade year, I went out playing basketball with some friends in the park and broke my ankle just before track season. <laughs> I wasn't paralyzed like you, but for me, this was like career ending because this sport was what's going to pay for college for me. So I went out and played another sport and it wasn't like organized. It was just pickup game. I landed the wrong way, broke my ankle and I'm sitting in cast. My coach is furious, <laughs> which I understood. So the entire time I'm sitting in my cast, I'm thinking, how am I going to get past this? What do I need to do to make sure that I'm back on track? I'm reading everything that I can, trying to keep upbeat mentally. And the only thing I came up with is, okay, if I just focus on rehabbing and going through the process, because this is a lot of stuff that they were showing me I can do by myself as soon as I get this cast off. The biggest issue I needed to come, overcome is how much my muscle had atrophied being stuck in that cast all that time. So as soon as I got out, I started working diligently. I couldn't run. There was no impact. But I can do stuff with my arms. I can do core workouts. I can do anything that did not go past a point of flexion for my ankle until it got back to a point where it's healed. So the scariest part was putting that real pressure on it and competing in the first meet. That was one of the hardest things I had to mentally overcome because it was like, okay, am I going to trust my fitness? Am I going to trust this injury? How am I going to trust myself when I've been out of this arena for so long? Because it was more than two months that I was out. But once I stepped back on the track, it was just like instinctive. And once you start something, the fear part disappears once you get on to the situation. Before the situation, you're sitting there and you're a little freaked out. But once you get in the environment and it's there and it's immediate, all of that just disappears. And I say that goes back to your mental training and your physical training because you're saying to yourself, I know I said to myself, I've done this before. I've been here before. This situation is not new to me. I can do this. Is that something that other people can learn? Because there's a lot of people that we know that they hit adversity and they allow that to be the ceiling and that becomes as high as they get in whatever it is. And then they just compromise and they don't allow themselves that belief. Is that something that other people can cultivate within their own lives? Yes, that is something they can cultivate, but it's more about them believing they can do it. I mean, I can actually talk to someone constantly, but if they are lacking that mental strength to say, okay, I can really do this. I can really accomplish it. That's going to be a very difficult task. They have to believe they can do it. And the only way they can believe that is being pushed through a series of different tests. I call them my, my stress tests, which I make them understand it's possible to do things because I have them doing things. And then they realize once they're doing it and performing the functions that, hey, I can do this. And once that light bulb goes off, it's like, what else can I do? That's the huge part. What else can I do after this? 
yeah, what other areas have I been holding back? What other areas have I not been playing big enough? And that's why these lessons are so powerful for everybody that's listened to and that's listening to us. These tools you can put into personal relationships. You can put them into cultivating friendships. You can put that into building your community or building your business. These overarching truths of excellence, you can apply them anywhere. The concepts are key. And then you can add them specifically to your area of expertise or cultivating a skill set in that area of expertise. Most definitely. It's a huge undertaking as far as making sure people can actually just mentally get to it. That's why my primary purpose of training is the mental part. I start off by just the simplest things to make sure that they can do it. And at first, it's always, you've been doing this so long, why is it so easy? <laughs> and, and I said, it's the simplest thing. The simplest answer is usually the best one. I've been doing it so long that my muscles are used to these movements, even though I'm this age, which means if I can do this, you can do this. That's what I always say. If I can do it, you can do it. So let's get down and let's just go through the process and do it together. And once I start doing this and the conversation begins, that's the best part about conversations when you're working with someone. It eases their stress level. It makes them less aware of what's happening or what they can't do. And they start talking to you and then they realize that they're actually doing it. That's it. Like you said, it helps them refocus on what's actually important instead of the distraction. I'm sure you've seen this. I've been around athletes or trained with athletes before a competition and maybe they do really well on their home track or they do really well in the home meet. But then if you take them and put them somewhere else, and then I can't even imagine at the Olympic level where you're walking out on the stage and the world is watching you and all the lights are on and all this pressure's on, a lot of those athletes, that rattles them, that scares them. They don't understand. There are people in the audience that are rooting for you to win, but there are also people in the audience that are hoping that you don't win because they're from a different country or a different team. How is it that people get stuck in that sometimes? And then what were the things that you were able to do to keep you from falling out of that mental trap of limiting yourself because you were worried more about what these people were doing or waving or screaming or yelling? That goes back to me talking about the me time. When I'm going to different countries, one of the major purposes for me going out and just being a part of the culture is so I can get comfortable with them. Because when you're walking through another country, they know that you're an athlete there to compete. So they come up and they start having a conversation. So when you're familiar with someone, you know you're going to have someone in the stands who's rooting for you. Regardless of who's not rooting for you, you've got support there in that country, in that stadium, which makes a world of difference. So that, that's huge for me. Just go out, talk to people, let them see how friendly and approachable you are. Because most of the time, most professional athletes, they are like hands off. I'm not that guy. I like being in front of people talking. They would say, why are you so comfortable talking in front of people? I said, that's just been always a thing. I never understood why it was so difficult, but it is difficult to speak in front of people unless you just go out and just put yourself in that situation and then you get comfortable overall. It's like that for everything in life. You're not going to be comfortable with something until you go out and just try it and try it and do it over and over and over again. And once you get to that point where it is comfortable, you do something else to make yourself uncomfortable so you can grow. That's exactly it. And it's also easier to talk about something that you love, that you're choosing to do, that you're an expert at, that you're at the top of your game at, as opposed to trying to talk about something that we don't know anything about. So again, once it's something that you enjoy talking about, 
that passion comes out, that excitement comes out, and that is truly contagious to that person. So they can actually feel that radiating from you when they're talking about it. That's why I'm so impressed as well. Did you know that Muhammad Ali at one point was actually a coach after he was retired? No, did not. Nobody knows because he was a great fighter. He was a great athlete, but very few people have the capacity to take that and then feed into another athlete, feed into a younger generation of athletes the way that you are. So that's why in my mind, you're so impressive all the way around because not only can you walk the walk, but now you're able to bring that knowledge over to this other side and show people, hey, listen, because Muhammad Ali expected everybody else to have the same attributes that he had, the same stamina that he had, the same drive and grit that he had when he was one in a billion, essentially. So expecting a kid to walk in off the street and to be able to have the same sort of movement, the same sort of natural attributes, it just doesn't happen. And that's why a lot of athletes, as you say, maybe they're in the zone and they're doing this thing and they don't want to talk to anybody. And I can respect that. But at the end of the day, if you have the ability to insulate yourself and still talk to these other people and not feel like you're having to give up anything in the process, it's actually a huge advantage. You bring up Muhammad Ali and I think about one situation. With me, I know that each of the kids that I'm coaching, they are not going to be the next NCAA champion or the next Olympian. And there are many people who are there just because they love the sport. And their accomplishments, no matter how small they may be to someone else, they are huge to that individual because that's personal enrichment. They are growing and they see themselves improving. And for me, That's more important than anything else. It's more important than a medal. It's more important than winning anything because they see themselves starting at one point and progressing to where their confidence is so high that their personal growth outweighs the person who might be winning the race. That's what's so beautiful about what you do, because like you said, just that one moment, just that one comment, just them seeing you see them run could be the difference between that. Like you said, even if they don't win the race, they're always going to remember that moment. They're going to remember that when they're doing anything. And as coaches, sometimes when we can really accentuate that one positive, especially when they feel like there's a lot of other negative things going on, they can hold on to that in those times when they feel like, man, I don't want to do this, but no, I remember what Antoine said. He's a gold medalist and he's pretty incredible. So if he thinks I'm awesome or he thought that this was a good attribute of mine, and then what do we do? We continue to cultivate that. If we tell somebody that we're trying to teach, if we tell this student, you're really good, this is naturally easy for you, that may not be encouraging them to think about the right things. But when we say, hey, I love that you're a hard worker. I love that you will outwork everybody on this track. I know that you're the first one out and you're the last one off. If we do that, now we're not only helping them as an athlete to encourage that behavior to work harder, but now as a member of society, as a mother, as a father, as a husband, as a wife, as a as a leader, as a CEO, they will take that and that will always be something that they remember as opposed to thinking, I found athletes that they have a natural attribute to an extent, but then when they face real adversity and it's difficult because in their mind, they're good at this or that it's easy, they sort of let themselves off the hook and say, well, I could do that, but I just don't feel like doing it. And they let themselves down and frankly, the people around them as well. I agree. So it's always better to, I mean, my partner, I like to say she keeps me honest. So because (laughs) I know what you mean. I know what you mean. (laughs) You always need that one person, no matter how bad it sounds, is going to tell you the truth. You need that person. Everyone else, you might have like some athletes, they have people around them who, as a kid say, 
gaslight them all the time, just boosting their ego. <laughs> oh, so true. Yeah. All the yes men, no matter what it is. No, everything's great. It's the house is burning down. No, it's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. So that's another thing we need in our group. We need that person who's always going to be honest with you, but not say it in such a mean way, but explain it to you that you take something from that and you learn from what they say. It's like, it's not a, a really hard criticism, but they're giving you some critical feedback to help you grow and actually improve. We all need those individuals because it can't just be up to the coaches or the parents. You need people who are friends around you in your network who's going to be honest with you. That's You can't buy some that someone's going to come and tell you and be honest with you all the time. We need those people in our lives. And as a coach, that's also why it's so important for us to read that athlete, that coaching relationship where you have one athlete that may be very, very aggressive naturally. So when you ask them to do this thing, they can do that. But when you're asking them to do something more nuanced, because you know them and you know that they want to do it aggressively, you're going to say, listen, I want you to click it back a notch. Or that person that we have to deliver this very almost brutal honesty about what's going on. We have to facilitate it in such a way that it doesn't hit them as hard as it would. While maybe with this other person, with the relationship that we have, you can tell them, listen, you're dropping your hand, keep your hands up and push harder. That's the only cues they need and they can do with this other person. We have to say, listen, I'm not sure why, or if you can feel it, maybe it's the adrenaline, maybe it's fear, but you need to focus on this. Keep your hand up. We're going to drive through this, keep your legs going. And now they're like, oh, now I understand why, as opposed to the other half a dozen people that may need another way for you to give them that narrative. And that's the beauty of the coaching that you do. Yes. It's just like coaches or your CEO of the company. They need to be able to not only understand their executive, but also be able to understand the person who is on an entry-level job and understand their position, what their needs are, what they require, and how you're supposed to nurture them to get from where they are to the next level and then to the next level. And at the same time, you create a program for when that person's getting to that level to reach back and make sure you start bringing in the next round of individuals and educate them because that's the only way that complete success overall is going to happen. It can't just be one person. It's got to be everyone moving up the ladder by at the same time, helping that other person who comes to them and say, how do I accomplish this? Because people will come to you and say, how do I do this? How did you do this? To be more specific. And then you just sit down and say, let's grab a cup of coffee. Let's grab a cup of tea. And I'll tell you what experiences I've gone through and how I made my choices and decisions. And then you can take from that what's going to help you, but I can't tell you what to do. I need you to make these choices here, but I'll give you my opinions about what's happened in my life. And again, the Bruce Lee absorbing what is useful, discarding what is useless, adding what's specifically their own. You may give them half a dozen things, but it may be that one thing that they had attached to that changes their life and gets them to the next place. Antoine, you were doing so many things, your business, you're doing these things with your camps. Tell us where we can learn more about you, how we can support your business, how we can get our kids to these camps that you're doing. Tell us more about that and how to reach out. Well, everything is on my Instagram page, which is Antoine Maybank. Or you can go to my Facebook page, which is Antoine Maybank at the same time. And the camps are once a year. Otherwise, it's just me posting 
all the workouts that I do with my kids. I try to distinguish my normal business from how I give back to people. So in the summer, I try to give back as much as possible because during the year, I'm working so hard that I want to have fun in the summertime. So I try to volunteer as much as possible. So in the summertime, I might have something like this week and I have maybe 50 kids who just might show up and who just want to work out. So and just sit down and talk and feed off the energy and grow as a whole. I invite everyone out on the weekends and we just have a good time when we don't have to track me. And it's good for the kids because it builds morale. It builds confidence and it makes them think outside the box and build relationships. And then it, it pours back into you as well. The energy comes back. Oh, yeah. I mean, I say I stay young because of the people around me. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more, my friend. Antoine Maybank, I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for your valuable, pragmatic wisdom. You truly know of what you speak. You're not just regurgitating Tony Robbins quote or something that you read in a book. Thank you for all that you do. And tell us the name of your company again. Champion Body Strength Training. And it'll be right under Champion Body or right in my name, Antoine Maybank. Once you Google it, everything pops up and you can learn the world about me from where I travel to the people I'm with. And everyone listening, the more that you research him, the more impressed you're going to be. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.